The Y Curve with Phil Dobby and Roger Hearing. Are you a property owner? Well done. You've got something that few Britons under 35 can aspire to ever. Well done. Unless you can't afford the mortgage and, like millions this month, are finding their payments have doubled or trebled as a fixed rate ends in a Bank of England-made financial disaster. Either end of the housing system, it isn't working. And even renting has become a crazy cutthroat business, leaving many young adults living with parents well into their 30s. Is it because we're not building enough houses or the wrong type of houses or in the wrong places? Does the whole system of buying and selling and borrowing need a big overhaul? Has the UK built itself a seven-story, fully furnished, double-fronted nightmare. That's this week on The Y Curve, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. The Y Curve. I, I just wonder whether, you know, the horse is already bolted. I mean, you can't, house prices are so high now, those people with a house are not going to give it away. You know, I speak for someone who's, you know, <laughs> got a very hefty mortgage. I would not like well, to see. T- tell that. me about it, as they say. Yeah, we're in that boat. So, I mean, even though the younger generation will go, well, look at, you know, look at these yeah. middle-aged people who've got, got these properties. A lot of us are still in our uh, in our dotage, let's be honest, still paying off those and mortgages. now facing uh, a larger uh, repayments on the basis that a lot of vast numbers of people, yeah. their fixed-rate uh, mortgages have now come to an end. So, and it's a big, so, big top-up. And we we would not be happy to see house prices come down, so we're paying a mortgage and we're <laughs> negative equity, so the young people can afford to buy a house, which they can't. That, which they can't. Uh, so and that's, it, that is the biggest and worst part of it, because in the end, somehow we'll muddle through retirement, whatever. But the, you know, young people who can't, they, they can't buy a place. They can't even dream of buying a place. Yeah. You know, the average house price in London, average house price, is over seven hundred thousand. I know it's crazy. It, it's it's just nuts, isn't it? I guess the uh, you know one argument is that if you've got kids, they're going to inherit the house at some point, so they'll they'll you know they'll be all right. But those people who haven't got parents yeah. with their houses, I mean, it, it's just dividing society, obviously. And, and, and even if you're not anywhere near that, I mean, the alternative is renting, obviously. And, and actually, large parts of Europe, that's what most people do. We, you know, we are property owning democracy in a way that's quite unusual in Europe but in in the renting sector it, it, the stories you hear it has gone completely mad mm. there, there, there are occasions people it's like buying a house now when you rent it you go along to bid almost how much will you pay rent yeah. for this place uh, the, 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 so the prices mean, are so slim so does that mean landlords are being greedy well you well, would be wouldn't you if there's a yeah. greater demand than there is and, supply and you've got to pay a higher mortgage maybe on the property that you're, you're trying to rent out I mean all these things are playing into it more than half of, uh, of all household in London are renting so uh, I just wonder whether we are going into just generation rent we just have to accept and you know there are parts of the world like Switzerland for example has the high, more than half the population in Switzerland still rents Germany yeah, as well exactly. up there as well we're about a third I think yeah. but, more, but more than half in London yeah. so uh, do we just have to accept that we're, we're going to go the way well, of you know other developed western countries and is there anything wrong with that well, it, the only thing wrong with it is that we don't have a rental sector that's really geared up for that hence the, there's nuts stuff about how difficult it is for people to get places to rent and how sky high the rentals are yeah. uh, you know in, in Berlin recently they had a rent freeze uh, and, and it was huge hoo-ha about that but it was confronting a problem that does exist in other parts of the world but it, here I think it's particularly true because we haven't been historically so much probed towards uh, renting well look if you uh, aren't struggling with the, the how you're going to raise money for uh, rent or to, to buy a house but actually you're more concerned about uh, how you maximise the money that you do have uh, then <laughs> we're more associated to the people who can help they are a private wealth management services company and they can help uh, individuals and trusts covering everything 
everything from pensions, tax planning and inheritance tax advice, as you know, which is what we've been talking about, what you do with the house after you've gone. Uh, these days, of course, the regulatory landscape is as complex as ever. There are over 2,400 pages of legislation in the tax code. How to get to the bottom of that? Well, they can help you. Uh, so give them a call. Wigmore Associates, a boutique asset management firm based in London. Wigmore-associates.co.uk is their website, or you can give them a call on 0207-224-3400. That is Wigmore Associates. Yeah, and they are backing us and making this whole mm. podcast possible. And today, of course, our subject, as we said, is housing, the housing crisis. And joining us, I'm very pleased to say, is Mark Stevens. He's Professor of Land, Property and Urban Studies at Glasgow University, a long-time observer of Britain's difficult housing sector and how governments variously have tried to tackle it and indeed what should be done. Let's bring him in now. So, uh, Mark, I mean, house prices are still going up, aren't they? That is the surprising thing. I mean, if we look at, you know, where they are compared to before the pandemic, uh, they've, I mean, I think they've gone up basically by a quarter uh, in price in, in the UK. Uh, and you would have thought, you know, everything was fighting the, the, in the other direction. Uh, and yet, you know, there's that resilience in the housing market. It's, does it surprise you? Um, it does surprise me, um, given how much interest rates have, uh, have gone up. Uh, but the, the housing market always is there to surprise us. So, you know, I think I think when the, the pandemic came, you, you know, we expected something of an implosion, and the, the government certainly did because of all the stimulus it gave to the housing market. But then it it turned out that the, the ultra of low interest rates that the pandemic uh, gave us, if you like. Um, you know, spurred uh, another another boom and a bit of cash in cash cash in our bank accounts as well. Well, yeah, it hasn't lasted long, but there was a bit. And I, I, I suppose the the thing with it, though, as you say, it is unpredictable, seems to be unpredictable. But is that because we still don't really understand the housing sector in its in the way it performs and why? And and is it unpredictable? Because even though it might level off, it never seems to really go down. I mean. The predictability seems to be if you've got the money, it's going to go up at some point. I think that's a really good point that, it's, um, you, you know, the housing system is immensely complex. If you think about it, uh, numerous factors that um, affect it. So, you know, we, we can think of sort of fundamentals like household growth or population growth, income growth or stagnation interest rates. But there's, there's clearly a lot, of, a lot going on. And I, I suppose a lot of people would argue that it's the sort of fundamental imbalance in the market that the that, that, that we haven't been building enough houses for a long time. Um, and if you have that kind of shortage, then that is going to you know put an upward pressure on on house prices. Well, that that as you say is one of the fundamentals and one of the things we want to talk about. So, do you think it is true? I mean, you've studied this for a long time. Are we simply not building enough houses, or not the right houses, or not in the right places? And why? I mean, if if prices are going up, why wouldn't developers be pulling out all the stops to build more and more? Well, there's a whole host of uh, points in there, but um, it, it, you know the last one you make about why 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 aren't the house builders um, going ahead? And I, I think we need to understand the house building industry a lot better um, because if you if we you know if you just stand back and look at it, it's actually quite concentrated in the sense that the, the, you know a lot of the market is dominated by relatively few companies, so it's not really a competitive market in in the way that you want it to be. 
Um, and basic economic theory would say, well, if, if you have that lack of competition, then uh, you, you know these companies are going to have an influence over supply, uh, oversupply, because uh, and we know that they drip feed markets, local markets, in order to prevent additional supply from bringing prices down. Uh, so whilst a lot of people, the, the sort of knee-jerk reaction is to say it's NIMBYs and the, and the planning system, I think we also have to look at at, at the house builders and that that kind of model, that speculative built model that, that the UK that the UK has. All of a sudden, just listening to you talk explains why we've got a big patch of land in the centre of my town, which was uh, uh, planning permissions being granted to build uh, an apartment block. And it's just not moving. So they're hanging on to it because they know there's a lot of housing going on and they want to, they, as you say, drip feed so that they don't affect the, the, the local house price market. Do you think that's what's going on? I mean, you don't know the individual case, but is that the sort of thing that's going I on? I don't know the individual, individual case, but, uh, you know, Oliver Letwin's uh, review he did on this a few years ago, which is an excellent piece of work. Um, draws it out very clearly that we, I mean, what, what the house builders have done since the since the financial crisis is to what they call de-risk. Um, so they've gone for larger sites on green fields, um, and if you have that kind of big site, then that that's obviously uh, going to open you up to to having control over the prices or wanting to drip feed the market. So I mean, I think one of the things government seems to forget is that that it is itself a big player in this. Um, you know, the planning system is not just a sort of licensing system. Um, you know, you put in an application and it gets uh, gets approved or not. Um, you know, there's an economics to it, and the, the government owns the development rights. Um, so it could the government itself could be a much more proactive in bringing the land to the market. Well, there was a move, wasn't there, to, to, to fine companies, I think, if they or to take away a permission if it wasn't used in a certain time. There was certainly government initiatives in that sort of area. Is that the kind of thing that well, we need? At least force them to sell. I mean, yeah. if, rather than having this land lying dormant. Yeah, there have been lots of... I mean, you could use taxation to do that. I mean, if you started taxing it at you know, residential use value, then that, that might concentrate mine. So I think that those things, those kind of instruments, you know, we should look at. Um, but, I, you know, just to make everyone feel uncomfortable, um, but also say another part of supply um, is within the existing stock and, and how we use it. You know, there's a lot of under-occupation in the, in the housing system. People hang on to houses when perhaps they... They might uh, down downsize um, as as they as they mm. older. Is that the case though that that actually happens? I mean, people talk about downsizing. I mean, first of all, you've got to sell your house. There's got to be someone who's actually got the money to pay uh, what you're expecting for it. Uh, and then uh, people do hang on to those houses, don't they? Because it's the only way they're going to get the kids and grandkids to come and stay. I mean, the kids come and want to see the room that they grew up in. So there's an emotional attachment. So I wonder whether you know most people actually do downsize, and uh, you know, and and should you have to? You know, why can't you hang on to the family home um, well that applies to some people it doesn't apply to everyone um uh, you know and, and it's a, it, you know it's a question of how do we tax housing compared to other things and you know if we give housing an easy ride and it seems to me we, we, we want the best of both worlds uh, is so, uh, you know we, we want to protect asset values of people who own houses and we want to make housing more affordable to people who don't have them now clearly you can't do both um, and you know existing homeowners have had a you know a long-term bonanza 
um, and I think we, you know, I'm one of them, um, you, you know, should 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 recognise that. And um, yeah, e- equalisation between the generations in some ways, but but also, Mark, what about the nature of of those houses? Because we've been talking about housing as if it's one type, but of course there is housing that's more affordable, social housing, if you like, all kinds of things like that, which again developers don't seem to put out there and would be essential for the other end of the market where people are trying to join. Well, that's uh, you've highlighted the, the the big gap. I mean, if you, if you if you go back to 1970, um, housing output from the private sector was roughly what it is now, but overall supply was considerably greater, and the gap is the loss of new social housing. Um, and, of course, that, that arose from um, the, the, the turn against social housing and, in particular, the turn against uh, housing supplied by local authorities. So just to put some numbers on that, 5.5 million social houses in 1979. In 2021, the latest number I could find, it's 4.1 million. So it had a 25% drop over 40 years when the population had risen by 20%. So that's quite alarming, isn't it, really? It is, yes. And uh, it's something that, that needs uh, consistent um, political support to, to, to reverse that that situation. And, you know, I would point to, to Scotland as, as having, uh, you know, made some progress in this direction. So uh, Scotland ended the right to buy and the roof didn't cave in. Um, it, it was physically possible to do it. And it, it revived, has revived, you know, the output of social and affordable housing. Uh, both from housing associations and local authorities. And does Scotland have a less of a problem as a result? Well, it does, yes. Uh, I mean, I, I think the you know the pressures are less in Scotland anyway, but there is more social housing in Scotland, um, and there's a greater supply of new social housing in Scotland. Uh, and of course, it's new it's new housing that, that provides the easiest route of route of access. Um, and you know, there are, of course, there are enormous pressures in Scotland. Well, one of them is the much wider coverage of, of homelessness protection in Scotland. So, so local authorities are uh, responsible for, for any group who's unintentionally uh, homeless, not just those who are in uh, so-called priority need. Um, so the responsibilities are greater, but there are, you know, there are parts of Scotland, for example, where, where I live, which is uh, in a small town, uh, in the central belt is that the you know the new social housing is you know playing the role that it, it used to more generally which is to sort of provide a sort of wider affordability function uh, for for the wider population and not just a kind of safety net for those in, in the greatest need. So that would be something that, I mean, for the sake of argument, maybe an incoming Labour administration might have quite near the top of its list to change the rules here to try and encourage something similar. Uh, well, it ought to. Um, I mean, it's an aspect, I think, of the, of the uh, Labour programme that uh, maybe they're a bit uh, quiet on, um, and and certainly that was one of the big disappointments of the last Labour government. Um, they you know they did have a program to um, you know upgrade the existing uh, social stock, the decent homes program, um, but they were very very reluctant to to allow 
uh, you, you know, or re- return to house building on any scale in the social sector. Mm. We know um, why so that is, though, don't we? Because it's because it's politically untenable. Because of you know the the situation you were, you were talking about earlier, where you you can't have both. You can't lower prices so houses become more affordable uh, without people fearing that then they're, they're going to lose a lot or get into negative equity if they're sort of midway through a hefty mortgage. I mean, you are. I know you're you're over there in Australia at the moment. You're in Sydney, which has got crazy house price. I mean, I was outpriced, priced out of Sydney. That's why I'm back in the UK because house prices have got so crazy there and governments on both sides won't touch it because you know they'll they'll make noises but generally they won't tackle the issue uh, head on I, I don't see how increasing the supply of social housing in any way threatens existing homeowners uh, equity um, I, I, I don't, don't quite you don't that. think it brings down prices generally? If we get it, just adds to the supply, and that would bring prices down. You think it would? The distinct markets. It's a fairly convoluted route. I, I think yeah. um, uh, you, you know it requires political commitment. You, you know it's been done in Scotland to an extent in Wales. Um, you, you know we now have a very large or much larger private rented sector, which, um, as we all know, is is insecure. I mean, of course, the security could be could be improved. Uh, but also just inherently more expensive. So one of the drivers of um, rising uh, poverty as a result of housing costs uh, is quite straightforwardly the tenure shift. So there are people who in a previous generation would either have become homeowners or gone into social housing who are now all in the private rented sector. That, that's a really interesting point because there was one I want to come on to, the, the fact that so many, you know, we call them generation rent or whatever it is, are unable to even think of getting a, a, a deposit, uh, go on the housing ladder at all, and are either living with their parents or renting. But and that the rental market seems to have gone crazy. Certainly in London, it, it, it's people are having to do things that they'd normally have to do if they were buying a house in order to rent a house, which more seems than, crazy. More than half of the household in London, was, as we were saying earlier before we started talking to you, are, are rented. But in Switzerland, 57%, Hong Kong, 49%, Germany, 48%, and we're about a third. So uh, in terms of the proportion of households that are renting. So, I mean, do we just, I mean, has the horse bolted? Do we have to say we are going the same way as those other countries and we have to accept that, we, you know, it, it is generation rent? Well, I, uh, it, well, it's, it's, it's it's a long, it's a long haul to get back to to the kinds of levels of home ownership we 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 had twenty years ago. And if, if you look at the age cohorts, the the, the changes are quite quite, quite dramatic. So um, no, I, I don't I don't think in the, in the, the, the near term we're going to restore those levels of home ownership. So we are going to have more renting, and the questions are, you know, what's the mix of renting between uh, social and uh, market going to be? Um, and how are we going to regulate the the the, um, the 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 private market? And are we going to try and change the nature of that by encouraging the institutional investment that we see in, in build to rent? Uh, and I, that's an area I do expect the, a, a Labour government and are elected next year um, to to focus on because that that is part of the supply. Um, supply equation. Just, just explain how that would work. I mean, what are the kind of things that, that the Labour government, potential Labour government, could do? Um, well, I, I, I suppose um, you, you know, if it's so minded, then then um, then it can look at the taxation uh, of the sector to see what the what the play, if the playing field is uh, even uh, even or not. Um, but you know, I wouldn't want to go too far in in saying that this is a sector that needs 
government, special government assistance, because um, you, you know the market factors are kind of falling into place that that that, that should support it uh, and allow it to scale up. Um, and once it scales up, then it kind of becomes a mature sector. The risks go down, um, and it, it should gain momentum. And I think we've seen that actually in the in the purpose built student accommodation sector which, you know, in principle is the same thing. It's institutional investment uh, for rent. Uh, it came from nowhere. It's now really quite large and it's mature in the sense that the, the players in the market sell, you, you know, there's a second-hand market. So, so you think it will almost naturally even out the problems we're talking about? And I've certainly heard from my kids and elsewhere about the difficulties of, of renting and the issues and the prices. You think in general that will, as you say, mature quite soon? In, the, in that market, I expect I, I expect it to grow and, and eventually to mature. I wouldn't put a time frame on it, you know, going back to the beginning of our discussion, these, uh, trying to second guess the housing market in any detail is uh, perhaps unwise. Um, but, you know, it does. It, it really requires a, a, a sort of, um, a, you know, all hands on deck, you know, it's not no single instrument is, or policy or section of the market is going to solve the, uh, the problems that we're in. So it you know, it does, I think, require government action on land supply, land preparation. I think it does require how we think about how we tax ta- uh, tax housing. It does require a commitment to uh, new social and affordable supply. Um, and it does uh, require some reconsideration of how, how the private rented sector works. And of course, we have the renters reform bill uh, at last, long overdue. Um, you know, again, going back to Scotland, you know, the security of tenure has been increased uh, enormously. Um, and, you know, it looks like we're heading to some kind of system of rent controls. And, um, you know, these are areas that uh, are going to require very careful um, uh, policies because, um, you, you know, if, if they go too far and, and landlords start selling up, then there's going to be another dynamic there that that, that, that could create a spiral of shortage. And, and you think there is a risk of that? Oh, yes. Yes. I, I mean, historically, um, you, you know, you have to be very careful about how you design rent control. Um, you, you know, personally, I'm, you know, more in favour of the sort of so-called second generation rent control, the, the kind of ideas of rent pressure zones, which is to moderate increases in areas that that, that are, are very pressurised, uh, rather than a, a sort of blanket system of rent caps. Which so so just, just expand on that, you mean there'd be certain areas, certain parts of the country, certain parts of a city where you'd have different regulations, in effect? So let's take London, for example, where obviously there's a, there's a squeeze in demand. Uh, and, you know, I can see that is only going to rise. So that should be treated very differently to, for example, um, uh, somewhere in Leicester. Um, yes, I mean, it does, it does, it's not necessarily the case that year on year, London has the fastest rent rises and, and there are differences within London. Um, so, you know, what I have in mind more is, is, is um, you know, smaller market areas looking um, and where there is, you know, rapid increases of, of uh, rents within 10 years, uh, tenancies, then those are the kind of areas you might want to say, look, this, area, this market's overheating. Um, the landlords are able to exploit the relationship with the, their, their sitting tenants. Um, so what we should do is to, is to moderate rent increases there uh, over a period of, 
of, of say three or four or five years. So, so we've been talking largely about supply being the actual issue that there's just not enough houses to go around. I mean, is that? I mean, obviously, people are living. You know, people are, are, we're not having a quarter of the population living on the the streets. So obviously, people are finding somewhere to live. So how much of it is supply, and how much is the other side of the equation? How much of it is easy credit coming from banks? Well, that, that again um, is a vital element in the, in the equation. I mean, econometricians have various estimates, but um, you, you know, long term, you know, maybe a third, maybe even a half of rising house prices um, has uh, come about by the um, you, you know until very recently the um, long term fall in in interest rates, um, and and it's it's instructive now that that. You, you know, um, with interest rates where they are, we're talking about them as if they're extraordinarily high. Well, of course, historically, they're not really. Um, and so, of course, they're negative in real terms. The inflation is well, uh, just, just below 10%, I think, today. Uh, well, in, in interest rates aren't that high. So they're negative. Um, so, you know, those with a long memory might, might remember 1988 when um, interest rates Doubled yeah. from roughly seven to fifty percent. Yeah. Some of us went into uh, negative and, equity. And, a, a yes, rapid uh, and, and that I, I, I mean, you, you know, very painful though it was, uh, badly handled. Um, I mean, that was a housing market correction that restored affordability. So, in nineteen mid nineties, um, you, you know, affordability had been restored, uh, and then we had the very very long long boom. Going up to the you boom up to the up to the financial crisis, and then again, you know, government did everything it did to to protect house prices. So a lot of this is is about um, you know the priority in economic policy is to protect house prices. So an element in this really ought to be to allow finding ways to allow the housing market market to to correct. Um, and I think actually longer term. It, it would be good for the housing market and probably for the wider economy if, if we had sensible levels of, 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 of interest rates rather than the, these uh, what were meant to be temporary um, measures. But is, how much of it is interest rates and how much of it is just the bank saying, yeah, sure, you can have a loan? Because, I mean, because uh, interest rates go up and down. So, I mean, the, you know, and it, it, is, it is interesting. There's this resilience that's going on right now. And, you know, there's an argument that, well, people are looking through looking through those interest rates and saying, well, I'm going to buy now because I know those rates are going to go down. But if we look at household debt in the UK, 700 billion in the year 2000. In 2007, I mean, they were the real growth years, weren't they, in the early 2000s? It was 1.5 trillion. So in seven years, uh, we'd uh, effectively household debt had doubled. So, and obviously that household debt was people taking out bigger mortgages because banks would let them. Yeah, and refinancing uh, mm. to support um, consumption. I mean, one of the issues is, is unequal access to credit. Um, and uh, I mean, part of that is, is because of regulation. Uh, so, you know, fairly sensible affordability and stress tests were introduced after the financial crisis. And some people say they should be relaxed. I, I'm not one of them. But what we've had with these ultra low interest rates is that, you, you know, the, the um, older generation who got their houses were able to afford the deposits um, to access the cheap credit than to rent out houses they bought 
to the people who can't afford them. Um, it, you know, it was, of course, deeply inequitable. and make, It makes housing an engine of inequality. Um, and, you know, one of the difficulties when you've got very high house prices is that, you know, not being able to get a 100% mortgage, say, isn't really the problem because you can't, if you can't afford to repay unless, unless you regulate the bank. So, it's not, I mean, there, there is that issue about, you know, the people who can't afford it and, and, and trying to get them off uh, renting into, into, into actually getting a, a loan, which a bank may say no because it's too high a risk. So, banks instead will go to those people who can afford to pay and they'll say, sure, we'll give you a, a, a massive loan because you've, you've got so much equity. You're low risk to us. For a bank, we like that because we've got the collateral that's sitting alongside this loan. I mean, hell, the other alternative would be for us to use that money to lend to business for economic growth. But no, we'll take the housing option because that's safer. And so you get this this housing boom. I mean, that has to be a big part. When you see that big increase in the level of household debt, which is predominantly housing, it's driven by the finance sector saying, yes, we're going to give safe loans to people. And that's boosting house prices. Can't you see that? that that's what's that happening. That kind of the scenario I was uh, out, outlining. But it's inflating prices. Um, but, you, you know, you only restore access to, to credit safely um, by allowing house prices to fall. Uh, that, that, that's, that's the long thought of it. Um, and, uh, of course, one, ele- one, one element in, in the housing market, of course, is that it, it, it's not just... Uh, uh, you know, demand and supply as as you would get with a um, consumer durables. It's also an asset. Uh, so there's there's there is an expectations of future prices play a role in current demand. So if people, yeah, like- which is why it's been so desirable over the years, or seemed to be so. But what about this whole issue of is the housing market a ve- I mean, you almost said it was just now a vehicle of inequality. Is it actually a desirable thing? socially as well as economically, to have a property-owning democracy? Well, the, the, the kind of property-owning democracy that, um, you know, m- many Anglophone countries had, uh, you know, say in the, in the 1980s, um, you know, that, that growth in home ownership actually took place in the, well, varies between countries, but say in the UK, it grew in the, from the 1930s onwards. Um, and it, it, it grew on the back of a mortgage finance system that was uh, quite effective, but um, pretty highly regulated and uncompetitive. Um, and it's really since we deregulated the finance system uh, in the 1980s, that you've had these swings in credit, you know, well, an overall increase in the supply of credit. And of course, that is one of the factors that has driven up house prices. And ironically, it's become self-defeating. Um, you, you know, it is, you know, they say revolutions, you know, consume their children. Well, uh, that is one revolution that is literally, well, not literally, but metaphorically consuming our children. Um, you know, the, property-owning democracy, fueled by this deregulated finance system, um, has ultimately, you, you know, it, it can't go on forever um, as people are priced out. Well, and it, the divide continues, though, doesn't it? So those people who've got houses will pass it on to their kids. Those people who don't have houses won't pass it on to their kids. And, you know, you could, you could see that, you know, there's an intergenerational wealth issue going that, on. That, that's right. Yes, yes. So, so you know, now your ability to access home ownership, of course, is 
you know, going to be related also to 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 your parents' ability to help you. Are we then on the brink of some of some major change in this? Do you think, or is it just going to bubble on as it has been? And is it, I mean, it sounds like it. we need regulation, and you know, a, a, a bag of regulations. So, for example, rent controls. Maybe banks do need to be controlled in their lending behaviour. We do need to see more social housing and things like uh, you know, trying to get developers to provide low cost cost housing. That's you know, things like that just haven't worked, have they? Uh, so you know, but it seems like it's a regulation uh, issue that that is going to counter this. We can't just let it carry on. Um, no, we can't. Well, we shouldn't allow it to carry on. Uh, I, I, I rather fear that in, in general we are. It, you know, it's a classic case of the sort of political economy of housing is that the the insiders, if you like, uh, are st- are still uh, in terms of politics the most influential. So that that, that makes it more difficult. But I think. Um, you know, we we do need to sit down and say this is a crisis. I, I'm I'm not generally in favour of uh, calling everything a crisis, still less uh, an existential crisis. Um, and, uh, but I, I think we do have a housing crisis, and uh, I think the the only kind of approach that will work um, are, are two things. One is that it needs to be broad-based, so touch all the elements of the housing system. Um, and it also needs to uh, to command consensus, uh, consensus to an extent between parties, because it, it, it's going to be a long, long haul. And I think it needs a, uh, you know some kind of acceptance by the older generations, if you like, uh, that things are going to have to change. Um, and and so I think we we do need a national conversation. Um, on that. And that, that national conversation so far is, is, has been basically people saying, oh, it's easy to resolve. There's just too many migrants coming into the country. So, let, yeah. I mean, that is a complete furphy, well, isn't it, it? Proportional to the size of this issue, that's nothing at all. But, but the conversation is, as you say, crucial. And, um, well, we're going to have to draw it to an end there. But, Mark, we've been having the conversation, and thank you very much for doing that. Uh, a lot to think about and, uh, as you say, a crisis that has to be acknowledged, and um, well, hopefully we've done our bit in acknowledging yeah, Thanks, that. Mark. Okay, thank you very I mean, much. Goodness knows how this in reality is resolved. I remember one yeah. thing my dad saying, my, my dear old late dad, uh, that, you know, he, he was the generation that had it easy. Because, you know, he, he was at the stage where, you know, buying a house would be, what, two and a half times your, your income. Incomes were a lot lower. Expectations were lower as though true, as well. True, true. Houses yeah. were worse in many ways. Yeah. Although, actually, in terms of building standards, some things have gone down higher. as well. But, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. But, I mean, we and yeah, but that expectation, I mean, we, we went from a small house yeah. to a slightly less small house to a slightly larger house. You know, it was all very gradual. We didn't, there wasn't that rush that, we you know, we've got these days or young people seem to have. So, I don't know whether expectation is part of it as well. And you can't blame young people for that because that is peer pressure, of course. Well, we're in a, in a world where everything has to move. We, we blame young people for most things. Truth well, be told. okay, it's their fault then. Fair enough. Well, let's I talk about let's talk about the let's talk about the 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 badness of a slightly older generation because that is going to be our subject next week. Yeah, we're going to be talking about those who rule us, those who we elect to rule us, those who uh, make big decisions on our behalf, and what we expect. Is rule, of them. Do they, is rule the word? Do they well, rule they govern. Us? 
Govern. Yeah, govern. Or, or, all right, okay. govern. Yeah. Well, that's the point in a way, because yeah. the way they rule or govern yeah. uh, is very much what we're going to be talking about. There's been a lot of issue about the standards mm. that these people have. How, what do we hold them to? Yeah. Whether it's a ministerial code of responsibility, the extent to which they have to obey the laws they themselves supervise, uh, just the levels of accountability, how it works, how it should work, what we and, should and expect. And how the politics get involved in all yeah. that. So this whole thing, I'm no fan, you might be I've gathered this, of uh, Suella Braveman, but I just this whole thing about her driving test, I mean... Who cares? Well, yes, but clearly it's, people do. It's been a story for quite a while now. Yeah, I know. But uh, it's but it but it seems irrelevant. She 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 in the end she did I mean to her point she did pay the fine, she did yeah. lose the point. She might have asked somebody for for help yeah. uh, to see is there a way I can avoid this uh, or and you can see her point. And the, she asked not, the wrong she's people. Not, and she's not enormously popular, so you can understand yeah. that actually sitting and she's there got in, a track record. That's the problem. Yeah, all these is. kind of yeah. things. Add them all together. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and then, it's then not Boris just obviously. Yeah. And you well, know, well, we also of course had Dominic Raab who's now going to stand down as an MP. Yeah. Uh, what do we expect of the people who we elect into office? What do we think they should or shouldn't be doing? How do we govern it? That's going to be our subject. Wow. There's a next old week. can of worms, and we'll do that next week on The Why Care, brought to you by Wigmore Associates. See you next week. Thanks for listening. The Why Curve.